blockchain and AI is to the evolution of the internet, what nuclear energy is to the fight against climate change, mm. indispensable, but widely misunderstood. If it's just an idea, then equity is worth close to zero because I can promise you whatever business idea you have, there is a number of other people in the world. I knew right you were going to say that. <laughs> Why am I doing this podcast? You just come do my job for me. This is exactly what I say. That if you ask for money, you'll get advice. If you ask for advice, you'll get money. Welcome back, everybody, to the Founders Corner. In today's episode, I have a very special guest all the way from the UK, Eva Debranska, and she is a capital early stage capital advisor for startups, helping them become more investable. And she actually works with incubators as well. So I'm super excited to bring her on here. Um, Eva, welcome to the channel. How are you doing? Thank you very much, Seth. Doing really good. And Excellent. very excited to record this one with you. Good, good. Um, so Eva, why don't you give us a little background about you? Right. Because um, you and I have talked about talked to and you're like quite intelligent and I'm very excited <laughs> for this conversation. So why don't you give us a little background about you? Yeah, uh, I'd love to think so. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, basically. Um, so, yeah, I found myself in the early stage startup space like a good couple of years back. And I actually started out in the non dilutive side of things, mm -hmm. so to say. So I was working for an R&D tax credits consultancy. Um, yeah. And then I started working for like an introducer for founders looking to raise capital. Right. So I, uh, I think it was around that time that I realized capital raising is more exciting than the world of tax. Um, and yep. I moved on. To <laughs> I agree with that. <laughs> yes. Um, and that was when I was living back in Sydney. Um, right. And then I returned back to UK. I set up my own small advisory, helping pre-seed and seed uh, stage founders to basically become more investable, raise capital faster, utilize some of the tools that are available. Um, and then lastly, and earlier this year, I started to work for Blog Dojo, which is an early stage incubator that works with startups utilizing blockchain and web free technology in their offering. So very, um, like, very, very, like, fresh technology stuff. Yes, correct. Yeah, yeah. And like the way I see blockchain is that um, I always see blockchain, it is not a standalone industry. It yeah. is just underlying technology that can be applied correct. across industries, verticals. There's so many different applications that we've seen in the even in the last cohort alone. And, that and, and, it's, and it's unfortunate because a lot of people reference blockchain as crypto, right? And crypto has gotten a really bad name. Like with blockchain, I tell people this all the time, you got like smart contracts, you got, uh, yes. you know, so many applications that can go into it. But unfortunately, because of the whole crypto thing, it's become a yeah, 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 uh, absolutely. And it's um, a big distinction, essentially, yeah. between um, blockchain and then crypto and Web3 as well. Um, and, you know, we've reviewed in the last intake to our incubator program, we've had over 250 applications. Wow. Um, I've seen some of like fantastic ideas, like absolutely necessary um, targeting a very, you know, like mark those market gaps that really, really need to be addressed. Mm -hmm. uh, and where blockchain is the absolutely most perfect technology to address the issues. The only problem I find, and I know we're kind of going off script because I, I really love talking about blockchain because there there's so many like, 
I, I hesitate to call it misinformation. It's just like yeah. people don't do their research, right? Um, and so one cool. of the biggest things about blockchain is that it runs on the world of crypto. Like people yes. only because because it think of it as millions of computers that are basically your servers, right? Uh -huh. And a lot of people don't realize a lot of people the reason they put their computers up is because they're earning Bitcoin yeah. or some sort so, of crypto. Um, there's this one quote that I absolutely love, which says that it's been said that blockchain and AI is to the evolution of the internet what nuclear energy is to the fight against climate change. Mm. Indispensable, but widely misunderstood. Yes, yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. N nuclear energy is very well. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. A yeah. <laughs> couple of things went wrong at the beginning and now everybody is uh, very hesitant on it. Right. Yeah. So I agree with that. So um, listen, Eva, I you know, it's nice having someone who is in the startup world who helps at startups, right? Because you and I talked about this. It's it, there's a lack of resources for them out there yeah. to be able to get, you know, especially funding. Um, what, what kind of uh, things do you see most people making mistakes as founders at an early stage? Like, um, you know, what, what do you see in the pre-seed basically? Yeah. So, uh Pre-seed, um, well, some of the biggest mistakes circle around what people put in their pitch decks. And um, that's important because at the pre-seed level, you are likely to be pre-product, maybe even pre-MVP. Most so, of them, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, So pitch deck is all you have, basically. Yeah. You're at an idea stage. So presenting that to potential investors in a way that you can sell it is so crucial mm -hmm. and um, one of the main mistakes that i see in pitch decks uh, at this level is that they are just way too long yeah um I oh think always it gets so technical when they throw like all the technical information no one cares <laughs> If you if you can't explain your business simply, you're going to have a hard time raising money. Correct. That's how it works. And um, so too long pitch decks, like more than 15 slides, I think that's too much. Yeah. Um, also too much information on a single slide. That's mm -hmm. actually one of the tips that I always give to founders. I love this. Yeah. So human brains process information in phrase. Yes. So it is a good idea to stick to three key ideas per slide. I love um, that. Yes. You've got that with a pitch deck that is already that with a pitch deck that has 10 slides, you already are looking at three times 10, 30 things for an investor mm -hmm. to think about. Yeah. Um, and, you know, these days, you know, attention spans run short. I think an average investor reviews your pitch deck for about two minutes and 44 seconds. If I remember it's like a correctly. resume, it's like a resume exactly. now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and like everyone is facing, you know, like brain fatigue, decision making, mm -hmm. like fatigue, information overload. Um, you know, TikTok has done a fantastic job of shortening our attention spans. <laughs> yep. Um, and that's why it is super, super important for founders to be able to um, distill the entire idea of their company into this super, super brevity high, like core essence yeah and I, I and you know it's funny because every time we do a workshop that's like literally my first advice is don't overcomplicate it actually we just did a podcast with with another um uh a gentleman from uh yale town partners um in investing and arden was like the famous quote that i use is i don't care about your hopes and dreams so mm -hmm. don't put that on there like realistically it's 
it's I'm a I'm beholden to my LPs, right? Like my limited partners. So you have to express to me why I should invest in this project and why it's going to be a bigger deal than it is, right? And yeah. you're bang on. It's it's you need to keep it simple. You need to keep it to the point, and it has to be easy to digest because otherwise, yeah, you're you're totally right on that. And then um, that's actually from one of the podcasts that I was listening to this morning. Um, Another important consideration is that if you are going for funding from VCs, Mm -hmm. uh, the VC model is the VC model can be quite inefficient in a sense that, you know, like sometimes it is that one unicorn level company that will drive the returns of an entire fund, which means that VCs are always on the lookout for that unicorn. And if their portfolio is not performing as well as they they would like to, let's say in 2023, after the 2021 highs, they will be on the lookout for that one unicorn even more so. So Do you think think VCs actually get involved at the startup stage though? Like, I feel like they're mostly series A, maybe a late seed, right? Like, do you you agree with that statement? So... Yes. Uh, however, I think this is changing, especially in the UK. Okay. Um, in the UK, we've got the SCIS scheme, uh, which is a big incentive for early stage micro VC funds to invest as early as pre-seed. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah. So, so we actually do get some micro VCs um, writing checks, you know, like as small as 300k. Okay. Um, I spoke with a German-based VC actually just earlier today, and then yet yeah, they they write an average three hundred k checks into pre-seed level startups. I love um, investing in pre-seeds because if you can actually guide them and help them, like it's actually the most lucrative, in my opinion. And which is why so many of the most successful um, global funds have either an accelerator or incubator arm attached to them. Yeah, because um, they have like, to bring in the feed of sales pipeline, right? Yeah, and it honestly, like nowadays. And always, I think, you know, it takes a village to raise a startup. Yeah. So for them <laughs> it's a baby. To, it's exactly yeah, it. <laughs> yeah. so for them to extend that level of support, it is very much in their interest to, you know, yeah. immerse their portfolio in, you know, like that big, I don't know, network of, of contacts. Especially when they get to see firsthand what's happening with that startup as it's growing. Yeah. They have insider information that they would never have if some random startup just comes to, to them, right? Oh, yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think um, you know one of the biggest obstacles in raising funds and fundraising for your startup is literally the information asymmetry uh, mm-hmm. between what founders think that the investors are investing in and in what actually their investment mandate is at right. the moment. Yeah, that makes sense. What is what do you consider like if I was a startup and I'm looking for partners, let's call them partners because that's the reality of it, right? That is what they are. Uh, If I'm looking for partners, what am I looking for in particular from that partner? And two, this is a two prong question. What am I looking for a partner and what is considered a micro fund? Like what is the value of that micro fund? Yeah, so I would say micro funds would be the ones that are writing checks of under 1 million. Okay. So oh, okay. So you're considering a microfund on how much they invest, not necessarily how much money they have. Um well, so depending on like the number of investments that they make. So let's say that we've got a microfund investing like 1 million pounds checks and yep. they're to invest in 15 startups, you know, they could have basically have 15 million That's 15, pounds. Yeah. 
uh, fund. Yeah. Um, and there's quite many of them, like those small funds, like 15 million, 20 million, sometimes mm -hmm. 10 million. Yep. Sub 50 is generally that yeah, small. Yeah, I agree. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's 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 what I would say. And um, yeah, as mentioned earlier, in the UK, they are likely to operate within the SCIS bracket. Um, what does so that mean? Just for anyone that doesn't know what that is. is I don't um, even know what that is, so I'm curious myself. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, SCIS, so that is um, Seed Enterprise Investment Scheme, if I okay. remember correctly. Okay. Um, basically, what it is, is that it is an incentive for UK-based investors to invest in the earlier stages. Um, it means that they can claim back 50% of their investment when wow. they do their tax return. So it's wow. a goal. Yeah. Okay, Canada needs that. Yeah, <laughs> that that would be huge because you know the one of the biggest problems that we have. I, I, North America, I, I generalize, but like Canada and U.S. are very different places. I think Canada mm -hmm. is more closely aligned with UK than it is with the states. Okay. Um, yeah. But to be frank, a UK does take more risk than Canadians do. Mm -hmm. But like yeah. Americans, they don't need programs like that because they're like their their cash flow is just like so their cycle time is so great that they don't necessarily need investment like they don't need uh reason to invest they, they do it anyways but yeah, canadians yeah, yeah. are so conservative so mm. so conservative and yeah. what the government does is give grants to the startups which i think is an issue um okay. whereas they should give grants to instead of giving the grants to startups they should be giving those grants to the investors because in my yeah. opinion investors know how to invest startups do not know how to do startup so you're really yeah. just pouring your money right. down the drain versus a investor if they're able to take more risk they can take on those risks for those startups and they yes. can help them in a significant way whereas the government when they give you the money they're like okay have fun good luck godspeed we'll see we'll see what happens right yeah very 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 much agree and um so the beginning of my career of startups was actually in sydney in australia and yeah my master's thesis that i was working on was actually the analysis of the entrepreneurial ecosystem in yeah. australia so the interesting finding from it is that it is actually um more beneficial for aussie startups to remain small and scale internationally because there is many many more incentives for small companies in australia rather than medium or large because as they grow bigger within their country borders the amount of regulation uh increases and the amount of uh incentives decreases. That, that's why you see so many australian companies go international before they're even yeah. big in their local oh that makes so much sense yeah. oh my god eva you're breaking the sh <laughs> like you're breaking the glass for me i'm getting it i'm understanding why this is happening that's yeah. amazing okay cool all right that makes a lot of sense now because I've always yeah. wondered, I'm always like, why are they coming international? Because yeah. a Canadian company or a U.S. company, they won't go international until they have actually grown significantly internally. Yeah, like Series B, maybe. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. but yeah. Aussies don't. That's yes. Yeah. Oh my god, and that's the, huge. Um, the investment ecosystem in Sydney and in Australia, because you know Australia, when you think of it, is literally the East Coast. Yep. Um, Sydney, Melbourne, like the the Parth area. Uh, no, Paris oh, no, is East Coast is Sydney. Sorry, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Backwards. Three major cities, and then like the rest of the continent is m just mostly desert. Yeah, um, I mean the middle is a is a dark hole. <laughs> yes, and 
because like when I first moved over there, what was insane to me is that, you know, Australia as a continent is literally the size of United States. Yes, uh, it's massive. But all of the population, which is only like, I think, 23 million is concentrated in the major three cities on the East Coast. And yeah. that's it. Yeah. Um, so the investment ecosystem in terms of investors and VCs is a little bit more narrow as well. Um, so it actually and it's quite conservative as well. Mm -hmm. So a lot of Aussie startups wish to raise funds from US investors or they wish to expand to Europe and UK and be able to tap into that investment uh, network here. Um, yeah. Okay. That's actually really cool to know. Um, now, in terms of like what you believe makes a startup advise uh, or um, investable, right? Because ultimately that is what you're advising with them is it's okay. Here's the pitch deck. Here's what you want to look for. What are you looking for when it comes to investability for a startup? What, what are the, like the, do you have like a top five things you got to hit or how do you evaluate those? Yeah. 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 So, uh, it's worth noting that those things change depending on the stage that of you're course, at. Of course. Yeah. Let's, let's pretend like they're pre series A. Yeah. So any, anyone with pre series A. Of course, you're okay. going to say market fit. So we'll we'll pretend like that's not one of them. <laughs> okay. So um, yeah. Well, let's start at pre-seed. So okay. at pre-seed, if if you don't you don't have a product yet and you don't have like a well built out team, but my advice is to generate traction in terms of potential user interests. Okay. So something always advice for pre-seed founders to do as quickly as possible is to set up a quick landing page where people can sign up to their waitlist. Yep. The more people on that waitlist, the bigger the potential valuation they could go for. Um, uh, yeah, I agree with that. Like I, I, I would tell you, no one does that though. Why? Yeah. No one does that. I don't know why. Yeah. Like they don't go and get a product advisory board. They don't go and talk to the customers beforehand. Like, I don't get it. Do you know why they don't do that? No idea. And right. um, so you also, see it too, though. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And also building in stealth is something that I never understood. And I don't think I ever will. And, um, and to be honest, I get stealth like under the there's two pretenses that you would do stealth. One is you're building a brand new technology. Yeah. Brand new. Like mm -hmm. I get that. Um, and then two, because technically blockchain was in stealth. Technically. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And then two would be like you have some sort of like leading, I guess it goes to the first one, but leading edge, uh, competitive edge against other people like OpenAI, which was pretty stealth until like, you know, Elon Musk and, and Microsoft started pouring money into it. And no one even know, knew about it until launch. But I mean, they were pretty stealthy until they got the investment as well. So I, I, yeah. I get that. But like most most people don't need it. I don't understand it either. I agree with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like one of the best pieces of advice that I've come across is that actually on those early stages, you know, like you should talk to, you should put 10 to 15 of your most trusted friends into a small private WhatsApp chat so that they can become your early adopters and actually encourage yes. them to give feedback. Um, then having a working prototype and MVP. Uh, that is generating that interest. This is like the best thing to showcase to to investors, and this is actually what will be the basis of your valuation. Because if Honestly, you have, yeah, yeah. If, if you know, if it's just an idea, then equity is really just a promise, yeah. and 
if it's just an idea, then equity is worth close to zero because I can promise you whatever business idea you have, there is a number of other people in the world I right knew you were now gonna that, say that. that's exactly the same idea. That's exactly what I say. That's word for word what I say. It is, it is not about the idea. It's about the execution. Oh, my God. Eva, like, perfect. Hang on. Why, why am I doing this podcast? You just come do my job for me. This is exactly what I say. You know, it's funny. I actually have evidence of that because yeah. we do workshops. I go all around the States, Canada, and I do workshops. And I tell people this all the time. I'm like, whatever idea you got, I've heard it in New York. I've heard it in Atlanta. I've heard it in Miami. I've heard it in Seattle. Doesn't matter. Which is, which is also why one of the biggest red flags to investors and a mistake that is often made at pre-seed if you go into an investor meeting and you say, we have no competition. Oh, I hate that. Yes, chances I hate that. Chances are that investor that you pitch to, chances are they met with your competition last 100%, month. 100%. 100%. Or yesterday, which is even worse. Yeah. So what I tell them um, in my workshops, I always say this to them. I say, look, it's not about the idea. Ideas are cheap. That's my word. That's the phrase I use. Ideas are cheap. Execution is what matters. And then yes. I go back to them and say, tell the investor or explain to the investor why you're going to be able to execute over the others. Don't assume there is no others, but assume there's tons of others, but why you're the guy for the job or the girl for the job. And yeah, it, it's really about execution. And when we speak of, you know, getting results, um, it's about consistency. And um, there's actually another statistic here that I, I will probably get it wrong, but... Um, okay. We won't hold it, you against it. Yeah, it was actually about podcasts, that if you mm. record 21 podcasts, it will put you like in the top 5% of all podcasters. I should check that. Yeah, because most podcasts do not make it past I agree. episode. Yeah. It's hard. Um, it's hard. Yeah. I think it was from my first million podcast where I yeah. heard it. Actually. We're we're at episode thirty-four. So there you go. Yeah. Let's hope. And no, <laughs> yeah, because like I see it as well, you know, like consistency, consistency over anything else. Because um I started posting on my LinkedIn about two years ago. And uh nothing really happened for the longest time ever. The first year was pretty slow. And then in the second year, I think it was basically only half a year ago, maybe that it started to snowball. Right. That I was like generating much more traction and engagement. And then the followers started growing and everything. But like for the longest time ever, it was just about me consistently putting content out there uh, without getting much, you know, engagement in return. By the way, and YouTubers say this all the time. Um, yeah. they're like your first year is no one's watching. No one cares. It's, yeah, uh, yeah. it's like around year two that eventually you start kind of growing and then year three, maybe you blow up, maybe you're growing consistently, but it, I, I want I hate when people, and I think it's the same thing when it comes to startups. I think a lot of startups believe like when they launch the, you know, it's the build them mousetrap and they'll come kind of concept. And you're kind of yeah. sitting there going, Dude, you're going to have to work at this. You're, there's a lot of stuff you got to do. It takes six months just to figure out who your market is and who you're selling it yeah. to and how you're selling it to them. Yeah. And then it takes another six months to just grow enough that you can maybe go for seed, right? But like a lot of people don't realize the average time for these companies that are blown up and you find out about them blowing up, they've been in it for 10 years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you're reading about something on the news, you're yeah. too late. I, I, and I always say this, I say it takes 10 years to be an overnight success. 
Oh, I that's, love that. That's my yeah. phrasing. It yeah. takes 10 years to be an overnight success because no one knows you until about that 10 year mark. And then you're starting to blow up. Right. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. um, and I hate that. I hate when I am talking to startups, their expectation is if I don't get it within a year and a half, I'm done. And you're like, no, dude, yeah, a year and a half. Yeah. That's why 90% of startups. Fail. You, you're learning to crawl. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? You're trying yeah. to run before you've crawled. Right. So, I, I love that statement that you just made. I, I think that's that's such a thing that I think I want to reiterate in our podcast is that, look, this is going to take grit. It's going to take time. It's going to take patience. It's going to take a lot of problem solving. And there's a lot of valleys, a lot of, a lot of peaks too. Like there's a lot of energy there, but uh, but that's yeah. for sure. What does the current landscape look like in, in the world of investment to you? Because I think that's the next big thing that we I think we should know, right, as, as startups. Yeah, so well, it it wouldn't be 2023 if we didn't mention AI. Um, and What's AI? Great. I don't know what AI is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but basically, like, what's interesting to me is that if you think about it, uh, some of like the most iconic companies they tend to be built in the early years of new tech tailwinds so to say. So, you know, like in the dot-com boom, when the internet was coming about, we, you know, it gave rise to companies such as Google, Amazon, eBay, yep. Expedia, yep. Netflix. Um, then as iPhone came along and we moved from laptop screens to small iPhone screens, that's when we had Uber, Snapchat, Instagram, Even TikTok. Facebook. Facebook, Facebook went mobile first. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I remember that. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, like now in 2023 and beyond, we've got AI coming into play and we are in this like early stage of a new technology, technology era, so to say, of mm -hmm. AI. Um, but the next interface change, you know, we went from laptops to mobiles. The next interface change will be probably the Vision Pro headsets. Mm. Um, you think so? I do. Yeah, because so I, um, I make arguments against this and here here's my argument and you can you can tell me I'm wrong. I'm totally OK with this. Um, I so before technology, before tech, before what I do today, I used to do uh, home automation. So I had a company uh, called New Automations. It was a home automation company. I went into people's homes and built them theaters, sound systems, whatever, any, anything you can possibly imagine. And one of the things that we were always consistently battling with is that at, during that time, 3D TVs were becoming really popular, right? And what was happening was we would sell the TV and we would say it's 3D and they'd be like, I don't care. And I'd be like, just out of curiosity, like, why do you not care that this is 3D? And they go, I don't want to wear that stupid glasses on my face while I'm watching a movie. <laughs> you know what I mean? And uh, logical, that makes sense. Like, so... I don't know if people want to constantly wear something on their face. That would be my only argument. And that just comes from my experience. So yeah, yeah. I have no argument against it. I just don't know how. Yeah. Okay, go ahead. No, so, the rest is you. So I, no, no, of course. Um, so everything that you said, I agree to it if we're talking about B2C. Yes. But okay. Oh, business. Yeah, but if we're talking B2B and like business building space, then like what I think is quite crucial in here is that what underpins those technological shifts is actually the speed with which we can communicate with computers. So, you know, like in the beginning, laptops, you know, you just you're just typing yep. when you're coding, you're just typing out your yep. instructions. 
iPhone introduced a whole new set of haptics and movements that you can do Correct. on a touch screen. Yes. Um, and, well, you yeah, know, AI move. is using yeah. natural language prompts, which is also revolutionizing how we build businesses and it's revolutionizing how quickly we can get the ideas from our head onto computers. So how quickly can we build products? If we've got Vision Headsets Pro coming in with, um, you know, commands being dictated with eye movements, I think that is going to be a complete game changer in how fast True. we can build. Um, yeah. And I so, think I think there's a lot of applications in training. Uh, like instead of doing on-site training, you can do real training in, in, in a controlled environment where you can actually give really solid training to the new, um, like trade, trade techs, like those kind of guys. I'm with you yeah. on that. I agree with you. On a B2B and side, also, there's a lot of opportunity for sure. Yeah. And do you ever use voice control? Be that on your phone or on your laptop or on your TV? All right. I'm going to be totally honest about this. Uh, when I can't spell something. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> cool. I but, just say uh, it. I'm like, all right, this is the word I'm trying to do. I don't know what to spell. I'm going to spell it. I let but, Siri like, do that. <laughs> would you would you use it to save time or no? So um, th that's the only biggest, like, I think it's, it's a struggle to remember what the commands are because it's not natural language. It's not yeah. as natural language-y. Um, second to that is the fact that I just, I don't, I do not use no, the, I don't either. use and voice. You have to speak slowly and so on. Cause like, so this speed of how, which we can communicate is limited as well. It's limited to the speed of your voice and it's yeah. limited to how fast the computer is processing it. So like our typing speed is actually much, much, much faster. Yeah. Um, which, which is, which is also like super interesting to see, like it, it's interesting to consider that and think which startups were do well and which startups will do not so well. Because Google has the aspect of like um, the voice AI where you can give it in the instruction of like book me a haircut appointment. But yeah, like, no, because it's like, it's just so like that. I don't think people are ready for that yet. That's so obscured right now. It's yeah. just like, I don't trust it at all. Like I have to visually see AI do something. I can't just let it go in the background and do it. That freaks me right out. And I'm in tech. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I agree. I agree. I think, um, you know, like the whole promise of AI is that it should be speeding up our work, but yes. not doing the work for us. I That is my number one thesis in the yeah. entire AI world. It should not. it, And it will eventually replace people because there are some roles that like, honestly, like there shouldn't, people should not be doing that anyways. But yeah. in reality, I think AI is just going to make us more productive. I don't think it's yes. going to take the job away. I think it's just going to make us way smarter because let's be real. Yeah. We're humans. We're not able to process data like AI is, right? Yeah. We're problem and, solvers. Um, and you know what I think another like big trend is going to be? And that's something that I'm actually pretty bullish on. Um, I'm pretty sure that we might see uh, the comeback of the old school phones. Where, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like parents are already Razor. doing this for their kids. Parents yeah. are already doing this for their kids where they yeah. don't want to give an iPhone to a kid. No. So they will give them an old Nokia just to stay in touch with parents. And, yeah. you know, we already see the rise of no phone retreats where people want to switch yeah. off, forget yeah. about the technology and, and just, you know, like get themselves like out from the world because 
um yeah brain fatigue is real you know, you know um, what the kids need to learn that we and how we used to text okay it's oh, it yeah. wasn't as easy okay t9 that let's see what happens <laughs> like those like indestructible nokias yeah where we could drop like, that all day there was no warranty requirements for it it was a brick you can you can kill a person yeah. with that uh phone Look, one of, okay. um one of those really interesting metaphors that I came across is that we live in a time where we can be exposed to more ideas and concepts in a span mm -hmm. of a 30 minute long TikTok binge. And that is more than our ancestors would be exposed to throughout the entirety of their lifetimes. Well, also and their lifetimes were like 30 year expectations. Yeah. <laughs> so I would be dead by now uh, if we were back then. But yeah, you're right. Um, yeah, the, the speed of information has gotten so massive. Yeah. Um, Whereas, you know, like our brains as an organs, they're relatively similar to what was, you know, like hundreds of years ago, thousands of years ago. Yeah. Like we're still on that level of, yeah. of the brain, whereas like the technology just like leapfrogged so much. Yeah. Fourth revolution, right? Technology is the fourth revolution. So um, what's uh, okay. So AI, sorry, I, we did get off track there, but like you think AI is the current landscape. What what are you seeing in terms of investability for a startup? Like not necessarily a product, but like, what do you believe investors are currently looking for? Because I think right now the landscape of how investors are making decisions have changed since COVID um, because of the, the capital crunch. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, the top three for me, I would say, uh, and, and that's in the order of importance, okay. um, would be team, traction, and market. Um, you need to have the right team that yeah. is able to generate some traction and addressing a large enough market for VCs to be able to invest. And that's that links up to what I was saying earlier. VCs need to realize their own returns to their LPs as yes. part of the VC model. Yep. So this is why, you know, and if their portfolio is underperforming, this is why they are on the lookout for that one company that will exit as a unicorn and might save all of their funds performance. Yep. Yep. Um, they yeah, are so always they looking for that one out of 10. Yes, yeah, yeah. So they, they will be looking for startups addressing large enough markets. You know, like if you've got a TAM of 1 billion and you are that's seeking small. to capture 1% of that, that's nothing. No. Like nowadays, that's nothing. Yeah. Um, you might so, get some VCs interested in that, but it's not going to be the biggest. That's true. No. And one of the UK based VCs that I was speaking to, that was a quite interesting insight, is that he said, ultimately, all UK-based startups must um, go to the US market and tackle Every the US one. market. Yes, yeah, even Canadians. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the, the, the population of UK is only 65 million. Um, out of million that, uh, yeah, and out of that number of entrepreneurs and startups is even smaller. So ultimately you have to go abroad. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I agree with the, with the three. Um, I always say one is timing of the product. So you got to prove yeah. why the timing is good. Uh, team, go to market, product. Yeah. So it's yeah. very in yeah. line with what you just said. I'm in between your two and three. So it's the same same concept. What are some of the tips and tricks you can suggest to startups, uh, especially when it comes to like pitch decks or when they're talking to VCs and angels? What are your uh, what are some tips and tricks you've ever given your your advisors as an yeah. advisor? Yeah, yeah. So aside from that rule of threes in a pitch deck, 
um, something that I always tell founders to do is that when when you go into an investor meeting and when you're pitching, mm -hmm. uh, especially over Zoom, uh, you might want to say to that investor, oh, please do interrupt me. Please ask me questions throughout um, because it will keep them so much more focused and engaged, and, yeah, that's true. and engaged yeah rather than having to listen to just your voice for five minutes that you're pitching and i can almost promise you when when that happens people switch tabs and they do something else in the background but if you I ask i don't them know to... what you're talking about there's no way we do that <laughs> shifty eye whoops them, yeah. <laughs> sometimes no these does. startups like they're just so boring okay that's that, i'm gonna latch on to something with that you need to you need to bring energy like there's so many of these startups that we I get pitched on and I'm just like I'm dying in the background. I'm just like Yeah. Ah, oh, your voice is just so monotone and like ah, I want to fall asleep and I'm no longer <laughs> listening to you, you know? So I I'm with you on that. Yeah. True. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, super important and like one way to keep engagement is to make it more into a conversation. Yeah. Um and then the standard one to be always asking for introductions from every investor that you speak to um so you know like at, at the end of your conversation or maybe you're at, at a networking event and you know you speak to an investor and you find out in the course of a conversation that they couldn't really invest in you you know right. later stage or whatever yeah. simply ask them okay is there anyone in your network that you reckon i should speak to that way it's not a conversation that's wasted and i think um Harvard Business Review actually did this study where they found that most of the deals that the VCs are doing were referred to them by other Fine VCs. Enough. And and they'll always take the referral. Always. Whereas a VC, cold email VC cover all the time. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There's True. VC networking drinks. There's VC yeah. group chats. There's, you know, like VC everything. And so. you're right. You should always take the opportunity for, you know, uh, some sort of action. Right. And yeah. OK, that's totally fine. Like it's not we're not a fit. That makes total sense. But do you know anyone yeah. that what you think I would be a fit with? I, I like that because I, I, I do agree. I, th I think the other aspect of a startup, too, is like they're very intimidating when they're talking to VCs. And mm -hmm. so they're very, very uh, reserved um, when they're engaged. Right. And you'll see like the confident, um, the confident founders. They're very like, all right, well, like who else do you know? Like they'll do what you're yeah. saying. And then yeah, you'll yeah, yeah. see the ones that are a little more reserved that are like, oh, you don't like my business idea? Oh, no. Um, okay. Well, thanks for your time. Have a great day. Bye. Right? So, yeah, yeah I, I think every single one of them needs to do that because cold emailing yeah. is hard. Getting oh, yeah. a meeting with the VC is hard, let alone just letting it kind of die out like that. Yeah. yeah. So um, one of my really, really good friends, Daniel, who is running a platform called ShipShape.VC. Um, Sorry, what is that called? Shipshape.bc. Shipshape. Okay, I like that yeah. name. All right, cool. Um, the, it's basically like a search engine that allows you to put in any keyword and find investors and see what they're posting about, tweeting about, talking about. Oh, so that cool. you can by your investor outreach. Hold it's on, amazing. I need to write this down. What's it called? Shipshape. I'll send it over to you. Okay, done. Um, yeah, and like um, Daniel's great. He's such a great founder. And one of the pieces of, the, of advice when it comes to engaging with investors that he said is that if you ask for money, you'll get advice. If you ask for advice, you'll get money. <laughs> I, like that. I like that a lot. That's so brilliant. And that's basically like the whole premise of you engaging with potential angel investors that could become your strategic advisors as well. 
Um, oh, if you brilliant. go into a meeting, yeah, if you go into a meeting with an investor and you are so excited about what you're building that you just keep talking about your startup. And this is what we've done this month. And last month, this is what we discovered through our user research. And, and we did this and we did that. And an investor will come to you and say, we want to invest. Yeah, themselves. yeah, yeah, totally. That's the, 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 it's actually funny you say that because I've never put a word to it. But like my strategy, um, and it's not a strategy. It's just the, like I, I'm, I'm not a sales guy. I'm, I'm more like, how do I provide value in any way I possibly can to you? And it just yeah. naturally becomes a really good relationship. That's what I like. I like relationship uh, selling. And it's kind of funny because I, whenever we're about to start a startup, right, I go to everybody I know in that industry and I say, hey, do you have a couple minutes? I just want to talk to you about this idea I have. And I just want your opinion. I want your advice. Like, yeah. And I, yeah. and I go and I sit down and I'm like, okay, if I was to build something that you're in the industry for, what would that look like? What's the best way to do approach it? They'll tell you. And then you say, mm -hmm. okay, if I were to sell it to you, how would I sell it to you? And they'll say, yeah, this is how you would sell it to me. Like, that's a huge value add. Here's how you would do it. They're kind of selling themselves through themselves for you. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, right? yeah. And then the importance of investor follow-up um yes. update you know uh i think it is a start from vitalize vc okay uh they said it is not quite uncommon for them to track a startup for anything between six months to a year or even longer before mm -hmm. they invest yes. because they want to see the progress over time they want to right. see the month-on-month -month growth they want to see that they are talking to users and then implementing new features and then Huge. testing how well those new features are doing yeah um so yeah, it's 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 about taking them on a journey, and this is why raising capital can take anywhere between you know six to twelve months or even longer. Yep. Um, that's that's. How I I always say minimum six, and it can go up from yeah. there. But you're you're looking at six months minimum. I agree with Unless that. Unless you are you know Elon Musk's cousin, and and you're like well connected, and you yeah. know so like that's a different people. story. Um, what yeah. are what are some red flags? I know we're coming up on our time, but I want to know what, okay, so you saw yeah. all the things that you would advise. What are some red flags that you see immediately in a startup? Um, so yeah, earlier what I mentioned as well, you know, like lack, like if they say that there's no competition, yeah, not enough research competition. Then That also, seems like you're delusional at that point. If you say that, because yeah, you realistically, yeah, yeah. you have not done your research. I agree with yeah. that. Okay. And I think one of the biggest things that I would say is um, trying to do too many things at once at pre-seed and lack oh, of focus. Okay. If you've got... In terms of product or in terms of like business as a whole, like trying to be... In terms of product, in terms of your target audiences and in terms of your, of your revenue streams. Too many of any of those is a red flag. Yeah, if I see if I see a startup that is telling me that like, oh, yeah, our target market is, you know, like that industry and that industry and that industry, then I'll be like, okay, but like, like, yeah. which one do you target first? And why? You got to pick your yeah, niche. Yeah. Have you started in it or not? Also, in what we say in blog dojo to our startups is that um, we say in the first, I think it is in the first three years, you should have only maximum of three revenue streams um 
because you know anything more above that it will be hard to focus on it and then also constantly monitor them so if there is one revenue stream that is only contributing 10 percent of all of the money coming in consider getting rid of it because you're just wasting time on building it yeah. out and trying to make it happen the waste of your not- resources yeah 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 yeah, yeah. um yeah and, and and i've seen you know i've seen so many founders um who you know to be a founder you have to be super optimistic right and you have to be a risk taker which means that you will go after so many different opportunities and you know you want to catch them all um but But you don't have the resources yeah it can lead to lack of focus it can lead to failed businesses and i always say that you know like in a business you need like the balance of two you need the optimistic risk taker Mm-hmm. And you need a careful planner and organizer who will, you know, like... You need a type uh, A and type B. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Personality type. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, yeah. you need to be somewhat functional yeah. where operationally you can keep focused. Yeah, and usually that balance comes from having a commercial CEO and uh, more reserved CTO. Yeah. Um, that's how I usually found... That's how I usually seen those early startups working pretty well together. CTOs are tough to find, though. Mm-hmm. like good yeah. ones at least so yeah I, I agree with you i think but but i think a lot of people think a cto has to be a coder and it doesn't like you can no, find yeah. a really good product manager that's a good mm-hmm. cto because they'll they'll be able to speak the language of both sides right Absolutely. Yeah. i actually yeah, don't yeah, like yeah. tech cto's because tech cto's are too techy and not enough yeah. about the product and the customers and what's happening with it so and especially if you want your CTO to also be a co-founder, there's like a whole another set of considerations and, you know, mm-hmm. and how they will be in pitching to investors. And, um, you know, can they have a full investor meeting without yourself? Yeah. Um, yeah. Assuming a CEO. Yeah. Um, people I would not. Yeah. Fundraising, <laughs> fundraising is like honestly like a full-time job. So yeah, you will need to split it between the team members. For sure. Eva, thank you so much for uh, spending this time. I think, uh, like, you taught me stuff today, and I love it. Like, that was that was amazing. Um, I think you. I think a lot of startups are going to walk away with this episode, going, "Holy crap!" Like that changes perspective, right? Yeah. And and I think that's going to be huge for them. Now, if anyone's interested in in gaining uh, your advisory, um, w- like, how do they contact you? What's what's uh, what's the best way? Yeah. So uh, LinkedIn is the best way, although I can take a little bit longer to reply because I'm getting You're a such lot a of busy messages. person on LinkedIn. <laughs> yes. So, but like um, what I always like say to founders is that, you know, like I post a lot of useful guidelines, metrics, yep. strategies, playbooks on my uh, LinkedIn. And then I've also got a Substack newsletter that you can subscribe to from my LinkedIn profile. And um, this is basically just like, you know, like stack of knowledge that I am putting out there open source. Um, individually, I do work with startups on an ad hoc basis. Uh, this is quite basically, I'm quite selective. Um, As you should, uh, because but, otherwise all the startups are going to come right after you. <laughs> But yeah, but yeah, I do, I can do, you know, like I do hold a number of advisory positions um, and and basically assist with anything that has to do with pitch deck designs. Okay. Uh, and how do they, you, how do they find you on LinkedIn? Is it, uh, is it your full name? Yeah, just okay. my full name. Because yeah. uh, I do my LinkedIn differently. So that's why I was asking that. 
no worries yeah no 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 just my full name and i'll send you over a link as well uh, yep. but yeah i think right now the biggest focus is the newsletter uh so i'm always trying to like pack it with lots of useful you know resources guidelines like my idea for it is that as we said earlier information is inexpensive these days yeah. and you can find it all online you can um totally. but yeah, the, the value proposition that I want to give to founders is that I'll put it all together into a carefully organized stack of the best resources that you need. We call that um, curation. You're curating the information to be more seamless. Yeah, I love that. Because um, I think the value nowadays is not in providing information as much as it is in organizing it. Um, yep. You can find it everywhere but to be able to find quickly what you need and save time and focus on your business focus on your fundraising that's a completely different story 100 our workshops are like that uh you can find the information i'm teaching online but holy crap are you gonna you're gonna have to go through a lot whereas yeah. my workshop kind of gives you that guideline it's the it's the organized i like that that's really good. Yeah. Awesome. Eva, mm -hmm. thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate you yeah. talking to our potential founders. And uh, I'm super excited. We we need to do a catch up though. Uh, oh my God. I think, yeah. I think this conversation is not over. I don't think. I think you and I, we went on tangents a couple of times and I was like, oh no, yeah. I have to bring it back. But this is so good. <laughs> so so next time we'll kind of do a free reign one. Uh, version Amazing. We'll love that. Uh, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Eva, thank you so much. And to all everybody at home, for thanks for listening. And uh, if you like this episode or you think someone would get a lot of value from Eva's uh, knowledge, uh, do share this, uh, this podcast with them. Otherwise, like and subscribe. And until next time, Corridor out.